Welcome to the Kidology Institute for Advanced Kidman's Studies. This is your host and Professor Carl Bastian, also known as the Kidologist. I've got a special presentation for you today because I just got done Skyping in with my colleague and fellow professor, Joel Smith's class, up at Multnomah University, where they're using as one of their textbooks, The Kidology Way, The Four Pillars of Children's Ministry. And so Joel invited me to join them digitally to discuss the book and to participate in a Q&A with them. You might remember Joel. He hosted Kidman Talk last summer, and I'll link his podcast in the show notes. So grab a coffee or a soda and some pretzels or whatever you enjoy and sit back and relax and join Joel's class as we talk about the pillars of children's ministry that are essential to developing lifelong disciples of Jesus Christ. All right. Awesome. I'm glad it's working. Can you see our class? I do. I I ran and got out of my pajamas. I appreciate that. (laughs) I see who the back row characters are. That's actually that's actually Leslie, Connie, and Krista. And the the front row the front row do gooders are who? Uh, And we've got Kenny. All right. He's doing really good. There's two front rows, but All right. uh, and then the the play it safe in the middle folks are uh, outrun, outlast, outdo. <laughs> I like that guy. I had a I had a prof in at Moody Bible Institute. She had us come in and pick our seat, and then passed a uh, seating chart. And she said, "This is your seat for the whole semester." And then after we filled out the chart, she picked up her podium walked to the back of the class and said, everyone turn your desks around. <laughs> and so if you pick the back row, you now are in the front. And if you pick the front row, you now are in the back. So the, the middle people got, got it best. <laughs> and uh, I thought that was a pretty, pretty slick move on, on her part. So um, she, uh, she pulled a quick one on us. So I won't tell you where I was sitting. <laughs> so, well, well, Joel, thanks for this uh, opportunity to... Come hang out with you. How how cool that we have this kind of uh, technology, and uh, to be able to connect. Uh, now, uh, you guys know that Joel's nickname, but I gave him his burrito. <laughs> Did you know that? No. no. Now, it has it has nothing to do with his appetite um, or love of Mexican food. Um, it, it actually has to do with his son. When I met his little boy. He couldn't pronounce his own name. When he said his name, it sounded like he was saying taco. I, I, one of my little kid tips is I love to give kids nicknames. It, it, it uh, gives you a relational bonding with them, makes them feel special. And uh, so I just nicknamed him Taco, and, uh, and, and he loved it. So, of course, um, because Big Dad is uh, Dad, I just said, well, the Dad's got to be Burrito if his son's name is, is Taco. But uh, I, I hear your your boy can say his name now. Yeah, he still has a few letters that are difficult for him to say, but he's in kindergarten now, so yeah. yes, he's there. Well, I had a I had a little boy once who um, couldn't say his name. Uh, his name was Christopher, but when he was little, he said Coistopher. And so every time I would see him, I'd say, "Hey, Coistopher, how you doing?" And he'd say, my name's not Coistopher, it's Coistopher. <laughs> and uh, I'd say, well, that's what I said, Coistopher. So he he heard it correctly in his mind. 
Well, years went by, and I never gave up the Kawistifer. Of course, you have to be careful that they don't think you're teasing or making fun. Well, he grew up to be this big jock high school guy, and when I would go back to visit my parents, because this was when I was in high school that I knew him, this kid could beat me up. I mean, you know, I muscles is not one of my spiritual gifts like this out, um, outlast, outdo guy. And when I uh, went back to visit him, and I'm like, hey, Kawistopher! And uh, he's like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I can say my name now. And um, But I, I still called him that. So uh, nicknames are very powerful with kids. Anyway, that's not our topic for today. But let me open up in a word of prayer and um, just ask God's blessing on our, our time together. And I'll know if you open your eyes, because... Uh, I'm Skyping, and, uh, but anyway, I'm just kidding. But God, I, I do thank you for this opportunity to get together. I thank you for these young people and for their interest in kids' ministry, Lord, and uh, just what a blessing it is. When I was their age, there weren't kids' ministry classes. Um, you had to kind of uh, bend the rules and tweak the system uh, to get training in the ministry to kids. And so what a, how, what a honor and a blessing it is to have teachers like Joel who have such great experience and passion and interest and, and a love for kids that can just pour into them. And, Lord, I pray they would just drink up uh, the resources and the knowledge and, um, and just learn uh, as much as they can. Uh, most of all, Lord, they would just learn by doing, by ministering to kids. And uh, just give us a great time together this morning. In your name we pray. Amen. All right. I didn't peek, so if you had your eyes open, I'll have no idea. So um, I'm excited to talk to you about the the four pillars, but I'd love for this to be interactive. So uh, feel free to interrupt, and I can see you. So you can raise your hand and jump up and down and uh, let me know. But but kids' ministry has really um, exploded. It's, It's really exciting. In the last few years, it's going through kind of a revolution that children, that youth ministry experienced um, in the 70s. You know, when my dad um, became a youth pastor, he's a senior uh, pastor for years, but in the 70s he became a youth pastor, and he was one of the first youth pastors. When a church called him to be a youth pastor, um, they didn't fly out and candidate like they do nowadays. Um, he just uh, got the job through the mail and the phone. Uh, loaded up the family, and we drove from Chicago out to California and, and got to the church, and he's kind of looking around and didn't see any youth. And uh, and so he's kind of like, okay, where's the teenagers? And they said, we don't have any. That That's, that's why we hired you. <laughs> so uh, he took his guitar down to the beach and starts singing Kumbaya, and it only takes a spark and come to the water, songs you guys probably don't know. And uh, actually led young people to Christ, kind of the hippie movement, and uh, ended up growing a youth group into the hundreds through conversion. And then uh, the youth group ended up outgrowing the church. And um, when he left there after a few years and went to seminary, that church ended up calling him back as the senior pastor because when their senior pastor retired, they said, hey, we want the guy that that built the church. And so youth ministry and a lot of youth ministry companies... um, exploded in the 70s but then around in the early 80s and and growing into the 90s people started realizing you know kids need a pastor i actually kind of thought i invented the term children's pastor i didn't um there were a couple of children's pastors before me but not many and when i was a moody bible student i was offered my first job to coordinate the children's ministries at moody church in chicago but there was a pastor of youth 
pastor of singles, pastor of adults, pastor of missions, pastor of worship. And I thought, the worship needs a pastor? It's like sheet music. You know, I, you know, not knocking them, but I was like, the worship doesn't need a pastor. The, the people need a pastor, not the worship. Worship's something we do, you know. And, uh, but everybody had a pastor, but they wanted someone to coordinate the children. And so I, I kind of timidly, uh, although a bit of boldness, I said to the to Erwin Lutzer, I'll take the job if I can be the pastor of the kids. Because I really don't want to coordinate kids or programs. I want to I want to pastor the kids. And I, I think they didn't care what I called myself <laughs> if I would just do do the job, you know. So, uh, so they let me be the pastor of the kids. And uh, then I found out there was a little thing called the Children's Pastors Conference. And it was in its early years. And there actually were a couple children's pastors around the country. And, uh, of course, it has been like a snowball going down a hill. The Children's Pastors Conference now has... Um, several thousand to go and now there's the D6 conference and the Orange conference and uh, what's that other big one? Well, groups got their Kidman conference and uh, of course there's lots of smaller regional ones all over the place and um, and it's just grown. But one of the concerns that I've had is that with the explosion of resources and everything um, there's, it's, it's, there's a bit of a kind of like a a pinball machine of trends. You know, there's so much stuff that people are bouncing around. I started Kidology back uh, before most people had email addresses, and I always joked that Al Gore and I invented the Internet because uh, I don't know if you know that Al Gore gets teased for claiming he invented the Internet. And uh, well, I, I, I started Kidology back... Um, in the early days, AOL wasn't on the World Wide Web. AOL was had multiple internets. In fact, if you've heard George Bush get teased because he said internets in the plural, there actually were plural internets. Um, when I started Kidology, you had to build multiple versions on the multiple internets. Um, how many of you have no idea what I'm talking about? <laughs> uh, there was a Gopher uh, internet. There was a Veronica internet. There were multiple uh, networks and college kids who were nerds were arguing about which internet was the best internet, and then all of a sudden the World Wide Web came out and it had hyperlinks. You could actually click, and a new page would load. And so the World Wide Web became the most popular internet, and all the other ones died. And uh, so that's what a geek I am because I was on the internet before the World Wide Web existed. And most people think the World Wide Web is the internet. It isn't. It's the train tracks that the World Wide Web rides on. In fact, I was on AOL when it didn't have the World Wide Web, and I voted in the poll, should we let the World Wide Web be on AOL? And uh, I voted yes. And, uh, and eventually they eliminated the other internets, and now the World Wide Web is perceived to be the internet. So that, that's how long I've been playing on this thing and building a website to network children's workers. So um, that's why there's just such a vast amount of resources on Kidology. It's been growing since 1994, which makes me kind of a, a dinosaur on uh, using technology to network um, children's workers. But as these resources have grown... It's people are pinballing around and going, ooh, look at this new uh, curriculum, and oh, look at this new technique, and look at this new thing. And I've, I've started to get concerned that people don't have an overall strategy for why to use what they use. And early on, I was really blessed to um, be discipled as a high schooler 
under a really solid youth strategy called the Sun Life strategy. Now, Sun Life still exists. They actually don't use their original strategy. They've got a great disciple-making strategy, so I'm not knocking them, but they don't actually use the one that I was trained on in high school. And it was called the Sun Life strategy based on the discipleship ministry of Jesus. But it really gave me a great foundation for how I approach children's ministry. And that's what this Four Pillars book is about. And I really challenge you guys to read it because what it will do is it will give you a foundation for how to approach children's ministry. It doesn't mean that you don't um, enjoy trends or you don't buy cool curriculums and you don't check out some of the great resources, but it gives you a grid to decide what to use or why to use it. So just to give you an overview of it, there's four basic pillars um, that you build a ministry on. Most buildings, except some really cool creative ones, are going to have four basic corners, right? It's going to be a solid thing. If you're to get rid of one of those, it's not going to be stable. All right, Even a three-legged stool is not as stable as one with four legs. And then it's going to have a foundation. The foundation is a biblically-based ministry. I didn't make biblically-based a pillar because it's really not equal to the other four. If you don't have a solid foundation in your ministry, you know, it's like Jesus' parable of building a foundation on a rock, right? And while everybody claims to build their things on the Bible, a lot of them don't. A lot of curriculums on the market will toss the Bible in almost as an afterthought, um, or they'll just be a token Bible verse, but they're really not very solid. In fact, a lot of them, even some of the very popular ones, actually will misuse the Bible. I don't know if you're taking hermeneutics courses, but a lot of children's ministry um, resources are written by people who had no Bible training. So they'll actually misuse scripture. I was asked to teach a children's church recently at a church using a very popular curriculum. I'm not going to say what it is because I don't want to be knocking anybody. But the point of the lesson was to teach on determination. And they were using uh, Noah and the ark. And the curriculum wanted me to teach that the reason Noah built an ark was because God wanted to teach determination. And I'm like, okay... It probably took determination to build the ark, but is that why God flooded the world? No. He flooded the world because of he hates sin. That's the purpose of the flood. And we've got to teach kids that God hates sin so much that he one time wiped out the world. Now, if you want to mention in passing, boy, that probably took some determination to follow through and to finish, fine. But that's often a lot of curriculums have an agenda of what they want to teach, and they look to the Bible to find a passage or story to reinforce what they want to teach. Now, in your hermeneutics class, you'll find out that's called eisegesis instead of exegesis. Well, a lot of curriculums do that. They have an idea of what they want to teach, and they go to the Bible and they search for that word, find a verse, and plug it in. A common one that I re- that I mentioned in the book is uh, taking every thought captive to the obedience of Christ. And they use that, especially at men's conferences, talking about lust and temptation and pornography. They use that verse to talk about, we've got to take every thought captive. You see that beautiful woman and you have a lustful thought, take that thought captive. That passage has nothing to do with lustful thoughts. All right. In the context, that passage is talking about incorrect doctrines taking captive false doctrines. So it's a passage about false doctrine. It's not about your thought life. Now, does that mean we should lust after women, guys? Of course not. But to use that verse and 
not as the author intended is to misuse scripture. Now, should you confront someone who misuses that scripture? No. Okay. Um, like Paul said, at least they're preaching Christ, right? So we don't want to be uh, Pharisees that go around pointing out people's um, sins. But the danger is that we're teaching kids that they can make a verse say whatever it means. So they can actually end up mis- misusing Scripture in a way that's far dangerous. It is true we want to make all of our thoughts obedient to Christ. So that misuse of Scriptures may be harmless, but there could be other misuses of Scripture that lead them astray. So having that biblical foundation is so important. So on that biblical foundation, then, I go through four things. If you focus on these, the beauty is you don't need a big children's ministry budget. Churches um, uh, often are stressed out because they don't have a lot of budgets. Churches don't prioritize children's ministry, or they focus on we've got to have a fun building, we've got to have slides, we've got to have murals, you know, we've got to have a playground. I'm not against any of that. Whatever you can do for the kids, do it. But you don't have to have that stuff. If you can have PowerPoint, if you can have cool DVDs, in other words, those things are great. But you don't need them. I've been to multi-million dollar facilities that were not doing these. Those kids are not going to be lifelong disciples of Jesus. I've been to inner city churches where they're using cardboard boxes and sitting on the floor, but they're focused on these four pillars, and they're going to develop lifelong disciples of Jesus. You know, maybe the ideal is to have both, right? So those four things that I go through in the book, I won't ask you to raise your hand. I heard when I was on earlier, some of you did not read the book, did not check your syllabus, but that's okay. There's, there's grace in the kingdom of God. But the first is to be child-centered. This is where the kidology comes from, the study of kids. It's a coin, term I coined years ago. Uh, Paul said to become all things to all men so that they might be reached. And that's what kidology is all about. Um, I've got a... 150-page book called The Kidology Handbook. For students, I'll be happy to give it to you. But it's all about reaching kids according to their world and the context of their world. God did that. You know, God could have made a dramatic entrance on the white horse and part of the sky with the trumpets playing, you know, made us... He could have done the shock and awe, the George Bush way, right? He could have come down and, man, everyone would have fell on their knees and said, I am the Messiah, follow me. And, you know, who wouldn't, right? Um, but he said, you know what I'm going to do? I'm going to come down as one of them. Uh, Philippians 1. I'm going to uh, cast off um, the appearance of godhood. I'm going to I'm gonna weep with them. I'm going to hurt with them. I'm going to suffer uh, in all ways that they have suffered. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to be one of them. And, uh, and that's what we need to do for kids. Um, but we need to know their world. We need to know their toys. We need to know their humor. We need to know um, the things that they like. And become one of them. Not become childish, but become childlike. And there's a big difference. And so uh, that's what the child-centered ministry is. That, that's where having friendly environments come in. That's where the murals and the slides and the playgrounds come in. So those things are appropriate. Um, and, but you can do that in very simple ways. The next one is having a re- relational ministry. You know, Jesus didn't just preach but what did he do? He walked with me, he talks with me along life's narrow way, as, as we sing in the old hymn. He became intimate friends with his disciples. That's why they were willing to die for him, crucified upside down and all kinds of things after he was gone, because he became friends with them. That's why one-on-one discipleship is so important, and getting to know your kids, praying with them, building relationships with them. 
Jesus didn't change the world because of when he preached on the mountainside. Most of those people abandoned him, right? It was that relational ministry. And then being gospel-focused. I can't tell you how uh, frustrating it is, how rare the gospel is. Billy Graham did a association, not him personally, did a study of all the major curriculums, and they could only find the gospel in one curriculum. That was Disciple Land. You can look through major publishers. It doesn't mean they don't love God, don't love Jesus, and they're not teaching solid biblical curriculum. But look for the gospel, and it's often not there. And a lot of times, you know, because I love them as brothers in Christ, I try to figure out why they leave the gospel out. I think they're trying to appeal to multiple denominations and things like that. But it's amazing how often the gospel is just left out. And um, and so it's it's our job as leaders to say, you know, if we're trying to lead kids to Christ, we've got to incorporate the gospel. And so your job strategically is to say, how do we make sure that happens? If it's once a month in kids' church, if it's once a quarter in Awana, uh, whatever kids' club you have, making sure you share the gospel one-on-one. You know, I mentioned it in my discipline workshop, you know, I've never surprised that kids disobey uh, or misbehave. They don't have the Holy Spirit in them. And often when I'm sent a child that's misbehaved, I take them out in the hallway and talk about their bad behavior. I'll start up asking him, well, have you ever asked Jesus to be your Savior? No. Well, no wonder you're misbehaving. You know, um, do you know what the fruit of the Spirit is? And they'll rattle off the nine fruits. And I say, well, what are those? I mean, I know what they are, but what are those? And they say, well, they're things I'm supposed to be working on in my life. And I say, no, they're not. Those are things that are supposed to automatically appear in your life with no effort. Most people don't teach the fruit of the Spirit that way. We have curriculum saying you need to work on love and work on you're not supposed to work on those things if you're working on self-control if you have a sin in your life and you're working on it even if you succeed it's now a work of the flesh you realize that because you've now you've now been righteous of your own effort it's now a sin even though you did the right thing isn't that crazy it's it, unless the holy spirit produces that righteousness in you it's now a sin even though you did the right thing because they're supposed to be fruits of the spirit and so then you go to the same chapter. We don't have songs about the, the uh, works of the flesh, do we? You know, oh, the works of the flesh are debauchery, orgies and fits of rage, clicks and dissensions. And, you know, it's, it's not, you know, because debauchery and the orgies, you know, we don't like that. Um, so you can kind of gloss over those. Just tell the kids, oh, that's really bad. You know, that's all you have to say. You don't have to explain what an orgy is or a debauchery. But there's fits of rage in there, and there's clicks. Um, there's lots of things in there. And I'll say, boy, it looks like you've got some fruits of the flesh here. Would you like to have the Holy Spirit help you automatically do the right thing? And I've led kids to Christ, and I've brought them back into the classroom and said, you know what? His behavior is going to be better. He just accepted Christ in, in the hallway. Now he's got the Holy Spirit in him. So, you know, when your mindset is on a gospel-focused ministry, you know, this kid just transferred from a dominion of darkness to the dominion of light. And the teacher's like, oh, I never thought of that. <laughs> I, just, I just want him to be good in my classroom. And it's like, well, I have no interest in good kids. Because if I produce a good kid, I've produced a Pharisee who knows how to behave, you know, to get the, the, appraisal, the approval of men. I, I don't give a, you know, whatever, a rat's behind about the, behavior, the approval of men or behavior, you know, because I'm going to teach them to be good at church. And when they leave church, they're going to be who they really are. 
or they're going to leave the church someday. So your focus really needs to be on what the bit, what business you're in, and you're in the business of leading kids to Christ. And so when that becomes your focus, you don't really care if they're bad. In fact, you're glad when they're bad because you're, you're, you have an opportunity to, to be used of God to transform their life. So it gets, becomes very exciting when, when the gospel is your focus. But then the next one, the discipleship-driven, we're not about fire insurance policies, right? We're not just getting kids out of hell. Now what we want to do is see that they're fully devoted. You know, the Great Commission was to go into all the world and make disciples of all nations, right? But it didn't end there, right? Teaching them to obey everything I have taught you. Well, that's quite a huge command, isn't it? So discipleship involves uh, a teaching them. And so discipleship is that process of transforming them from that, you know, uh, you know, you're not, I don't know how many parents we have in the room, maybe just, maybe just burrito there. Uh, but when you become a parent, you know, you get that kid. It's not like, oh, cool, I'm a parent now. Toss him in the crib. You've got 18 years of work now that you've got to teach that kid how to feed himself. Boy, that's a lot of fun. <laughs> and you got to teach that kid to go to the bathroom. That's a lot of fun. All right? And uh, fortunately, I'm through those stages. I have a little 7-year-old. I just got done teaching him how to ride a bike. And uh, so we're now bike riding. He still he can barely get on it. He can ride, but now he's learning to start by himself. I can't wait till he can do that. We can go on bike rides. You know, I'm teaching him how to read. But I got, you know, he's only seven. But I know that painful day is going to come where I'm going to send him off to school, you know. And then my job's going to be done. And then I just celebrate the rest of his life. Well, you do the same thing as a spiritual parent and as, as one pouring into them. you got a lot of work ahead of you to be able to send that person off as a fully devoted disciple of Jesus. And, of course, we're never ultimately done until he that began a good work in us uh, will carry it on to completion until the day of Christ Jesus. We're really not done until the day that Christ returns. But that discipleship process is exciting, and, um, and we've got to be focused on that. But there needs to be some intentionality to that. I like to tell a story. I believe it's in this uh, short book of, uh, you know, imagine Jesus coming to your church, and uh, you're like, Holy cow! Would well, I be in India? Uh, <laughs> holy Jesus, he's here, you know. And uh, you're like, oh my goodness, I wish I'd known you were coming, you know. And uh, so Jesus is like, calm down. I just decided to do a little drop in, you know, unannounced. See, see how your ministry's going, and you're just like, hi. He's like, just relax, just show me around. All right, all right, all right. So you you give him a little tour and you show him your bulletin boards. You're really wishing you'd updated them, you know, and you show him the murals you put up and you explain you're trying to make it a kid-friendly ministry. And he's like, oh, that, that's awesome. You show him the playground. You show him the curriculum and you explain, hey, this is, we picked the best Bible-based curriculum. It's got an awesome scope and sequence. You know, they're learning the whole Bible and the three-year scope that we picked. And he's like, that that's great. I really appreciate that. And you show him the, the kids' church room and how kid-friendly it is and what technology you're using. And the, the worship is upbeat, but it's got, you know, good lyrics, and that's good. And so you're going around, you're showing them everything and giving them your philosophy of ministry and your rationale and everything. And and, um, and you're kind of nervous because, you know, you're 
trying to justify all the decisions. Oh, we haven't really got to the carpet. I know, you know, it's kind of ugly, but he's like, I don't care about carpet. Don't worry about it. And then um, you're kind of telling them the plans, the things you haven't got to. You know, our check-in system's kind of bad, but you know, here's here's how we're getting around that. You know, and uh, and uh, you show them the nursery and let, let them know. You, you know, you got a two-adult rule and all that. So um, you're going through the whole thing, and you know you're hoping people don't recognize, and they just think there's a hippie visiting, you know. And um, you get to the end of the whole tour, and you're kind of waiting for the, you know, the grade Jesus is going to give you or whatever. And he says, "This is grace. I'm really impressed. It's obvious you love the kids. You're putting a lot of thought and effort into everything. There's really not. A, I mean, you could do better. We could all do better. I'm, I'm really shows you love the kids. I, I just have one question." Could could you it just introduce me to some of my disciples? And you're like, well, what, what do you mean? He's like, well, I I, I want to meet one of some of my disciples. And well, you're like, well, they're all kind of my, your disciples. He's like, well, I want to meet some specific disciples. And you're like, well, I don't know what you mean. He's like, well, just introduce me to one. And you're thinking, well, there's like 200 kids here. And he's like, I know, but. Just introduce me to some of my disciples. And you're kind of taken aback because you're like, well, there's a bunch of kids here. I don't really know which ones you're talking about. Because the kids are all on this whole spectrum of some are visitors and some you don't even know which ones are saved. And when I heard that story from Dick Kreider, he's a, a writer and a trainer for Disciple and a speaker at CPC years ago, it really convicted me. Because I thought, you know, I'm using the shotgun approach and, but I really don't know where all my kids are at spiritually. It's kind of like I'm doing all this stuff for all my kids. But if Jesus were to ask me, show me my disciples, I'd be like, well, they're, they're just kind of all your disciples. But that's not really true, is it? Some of them are his disciples. Some of them are not his disciples. Some of them soon could be his disciples. And I decide I want to know where all of my kids are in their walk with Christ. And it began a whole new intentional process with me where where I wanted to know. And so um, that's when my wife and I began writing a discipleship book. Um, Joel can tell you about Awesome Adventure. Um, and, and it began a process with each of our teachers having a sheet with every kid that we developed where they know where each of their kids are to the best of their knowledge. Obviously, there's a journey process there. But where they know if a kid has accepted Christ, if they've been um, baptized, um, if they're a visitor. So I had kids, you know, that I have discipled. I know that they've memorized the basic scriptures, that I've graduated them. So I could go, here's Chip Kobler. He's one of your disciples. He is a fully devoted disciple. In fact, he's discipled two other boys. Here's Andy Barber. He's one of your disciples. In fact, he feels called to be a children's pastor when he grows up. You know, here's Drew Dickelman. He's one of your disciples. Here's here's uh, Mary Trimaloni. She's one of your disciples. Uh, here's uh, Andrea. Um, she's one of your disciples. And uh, and one by one, just be able to rally them over and pull them over and introduce them to him and be able to tell specific stories. You know, and um, and it just totally changes your ministry when 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 you can do that. So those are kind of those four pillars to ask yourself. You know, is my ministry child centered? Is it high relational? Is it gospel focused? And is it discipleship driven? And uh, so part of that means you've got to model your ministry after Jesus. You're going to minister to the masses. You're going to do your VBS and your kids crusade. You're going to do all your big things. 
But at the same time, you're going to have some individual kids that you're discipling, um, that you're sharing Christ with. And that's what Jesus did. He ministered to the masses, but he poured his life into a few. And over my uh, several decades in ministry, you know, I've done the big events, but I can I can name individual kids and leaders that I've discipled individually. In fact, those are the highlights of my ministry. It's not the big events. Um, it's the kids that now are in Bible college. Um, you know, Noah Laporte, um, Chip Kobler. Uh, this is going on the podcast. So I don't want to drop too many names because I don't want to embarrass them. Um, but uh, who now are in ministry um, to this day. And um, But you focus on those four pillars. All of them are free. You know, there's resources available. There's things you can do. Um, but they're all things you can do just with a Bible and uh, some creativity. And um, and it, it makes a huge difference. So I want to I wanna leave the last 10 minutes um, for some questions since no one interrupted me. And uh, and see uh, you know what you're thinking about and if you have any questions and Joel you can ask questions too. Yeah. Well, some some people have questions. I I have one specifically. Um, you know, in your relational pillar, you talk about uh, recruiting Sunday school teachers. Yeah. And how you discovered after working in children's ministry and volunteering in children's ministry that a friendship is a much better process. Well, my question is, in children's ministry, there are a lot more ladies than men. Yeah. And so as a guy, I have been able to uh, get more guys in children's ministry, but how do you cross the lines of being a friend with your ladies? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, you can be friends with ladies. Obviously, you've got to be wise and you've got to be safe with that. But what you do is you become friends with the family. And uh, you be fr- become friends with the couples. And uh, and I pour into those ladies' kids. You know, uh, in other words, you, you don't want to be giving gifts to ladies. Um, but I, I bless the socks off those gals' kids. And uh, so I get to know their kids. I mean, the best thing you can do for a woman is love on her kids. And, um, and, and you will score huge points with her. So I find out what the, her kids' needs are. You know, I'll do their birthday parties. Um, I'll do outings for them. But we'll have their family over for dinner. So I'll get to know her husband. I'll often, often get her husband involved in the ministry. Um, often she wishes her husband was more involved and understood her better understood what makes her tick, understands what she did better. And so um, pouring into her family, like we go camping every year with my CM team. And so I would I would take my whole team camping, and then those husbands would come along, and we'd be shooting BBs and going hiking and stuff. And so they may not be actively involved in the um, ministry, but I'd be pouring into that whole family. And, um, and then uh, with my CM team, which was mostly women, I would do stuff with the whole group. So there were times where, like I remember one time in specific, we were we were all stressed out. We had openings. We had gaps. We were going to have a meeting, and I knew the meeting was going to be negative. And, and there was no way I could solve all the problems we had. And I knew it's God's ministry, so I knew they would all be resolved in time because God, it's his ministry. He's not going to allow the problems to go unresolved. And he wanted us to trust him. So when they, sh- I arranged childcare for all the kids at the church, because they usually bring their kids to the meeting, and I uh, arranged a mini golf outing. And when all these gals and a few guys showed up, 
I rented a big 15-passenger van. When they showed up, I said, no meeting tonight. We're all going mini-golfing. And some of these gals were, were mad. Like, how irresponsible of you. We've got problems. We've got gaps. We've got... I said, you know what? All we're going to do is sit around and whine and complain and, and moan. So we're just going to go play tonight. And uh, I've got child care. We got in the van. We went mini-golfing. For about the first three holes, they were still mad. So we, I started cheating and got them mad at me for cheating. And, uh, and by the end of the mini golf, we were laughing and playing. And they said it was the best thing. And um, by the next month's meeting, because this was the middle of the summer, we had fall recruiting gaps. By the next meeting, all those problems have been solved because it's God's ministry. I've got an article on theology called Give It Back to God. You can look that up. It's about don't be stressed about your ministry because if you are, you've made it your ministry and it's God's ministry. And when you get stressed about your ministry, you're actually insulting God because they're his openings. And I had to model that for them, that uh, if we're stressed about our ministry, we're, we're saying, God, you can't solve these problems. And I had to model that to them and say, hey, we're going to go play. And we're going to give all these problems to God, and we're going to go have fun tonight. Because there's nothing we can do at this meeting. But those kind of things endear them to you. They see your confidence and your trust. You're not being irresponsible. You know, we talked while mini-golfing. You know, we couldn't help but talk about maybe this person could do this or that person could do this. But we did it over play. Um, but that's one of those ways you build relationships and, um, and just deepen those things. Remembering their birthdays and, and things like that. Um, so... Um, it was a blast. But those are some of those ways that we do that. Cool. Someone else? I have a question. It might be slightly off the topic. Um, I've, I've attended five different churches throughout my 18 years of being a Christian. And I've noticed that of those five churches, there were only two of them who actually... Um, invested in the lives of the children, you know, from from one to twelve. Um, you know, had had a paid ministry staff, staffer, um, a decent budget. Um, but a majority of the churches that I've come into contact with usually have um, three paid staffers. That would be the the head pastor, the music minister, and a youth pastor. Yeah. Um I kind of get this general idea that Many churches don't realize how important it is to invest in the lives of these kids while they're very young, so that when they become teenagers and they have the rampant hormonal <laughs> um, onslaught, if I can call it that, why is it that most churches don't feel that ministry to children is not just worthwhile but necessary in order to get them the gospel and develop? and help develop them into disciples of Christ. Well, the, the why, you know, there's just no one there championing them. I mean, you know, as the trend grows, it's, it's something we need to educate those churches. A lot of churches don't have, um, you know, somebody there championing them. And when, um, and when I meet people who, you know, are there and have that passion and they're frustrated that the senior pastor doesn't or others don't, you know, I try to encourage them, you know, not to have a martyr mentality, but instead just to say, you know, God has you there for that reason. You know, you're the answer to that need. And instead of having a, you know, martyr mentality or a, a woe is me, to instead say, you're the answer. And don't try to, um, uh, you know, 
change the leadership because a lot of times you can't. You, you, it's almost a both and. You need to work on the leadership. You can get them George Barna's book, Transforming Children's Spiritual Champions. That's a long title. I think it's the wrong title for that book. Um, it's a long title. But um, you can give that to your pastor. But it's almost better to do it grassroots. Just start doing it. Start modeling it. Find other people who have the same passion. And, um, but just start doing it, you know. Um, Jesus didn't go around complaining that the Pharisees didn't get it and that other people didn't get it. He just started doing it. He just started loving people, meeting their needs, and sharing the truth. And what happened? People liked being loved. And if you just start loving on kids and you start recruiting others who love on kids and you just start doing it, um, it grows. And, um, you know, you can be in a church and have a great children's ministry without the leadership um, doing it. You can do it in spite of them. Now, you don't want to have an us versus them mentality, but what you can do is you can just support the leadership and just realize, I'm here to do this for the leadership. And sometimes realize, a lot of times we get this anti-senior pastor attitude, and I see that a lot on Kidology at conferences. And I say, just as we say they don't get us, we need to realize we don't get them. You know, I'm a son of a senior pastor, and I, I think a lot of times we don't realize how much the senior pastor is over and what a complicated job that is. I mean, they not only are preaching, they're, they're, they're a human resources person. They're, they've got to oversee budgets and building expansions. They're over a lot, too, and uh, we don't get their job. And uh, so I don't expect them to have a passion for kids just as uh, they don't expect me to understand everything that they do. And so I want to be gracious to them and cut them some slack. Um, and um, but there are times that we can take them out for dinner or treat them and, and share things with them. So it's kind of a don't surrender, don't give up. But at the same time, don't sit around waiting for them to get it either. Um, just start doing it. You know. Anybody else? Come on. Um. Well, I just have a question. I think the guest speaker last week who talked about how a lot of times um, we're afraid to, to tell kids about sin. Like, um, you know, we kind of stray from, oh, we don't want to go there. Um, I'm currently in a church right now where um, I was working on curriculum this summer, and they were like, avoid talking about hell, avoid talking about sin and all these things. And so I found myself just like, isolating a lot of the verses like oh gee like we did the fruits of the spirit and you know it was kind of funny that you mentioned because i did find myself like oh we need to love each other and like be patient while you're waiting in line and so how do you deal with that like the idea that sin is prevalent in these kids lives and they do need a savior yeah i i think we um i don't think we should stray from the truth now i was at a camp one time that uh excuse the expression scared the hell out of the kids um, I mean, it was like, if you don't accept Jesus, you'll go to hell, and it's made of sulfur, and they explained what sulfur will do to you, your skin will peel off your bones, and, and it's for all, you know, I was like, I mean, they had a 100% conversion rate at this camp. Um, you know, we don't need to scare kids. Um, you know, we come to Christ out of wanting to have a relationship with God and love God, but kids know they're sinners, too. So I think we need to preach the truth and not be shy about the truth. Um, but we need to not do it in a manipulative way either. Um, but kids know they're sinners. They know they do what's wrong. In fact, Jesus said to come to Christ as a child because we as adults have a harder time admitting we're sinful. 
because we want to blame our parents, we want to blame our upbringing, we want to blame the environment. Um, we've lost that sim- simple understanding that there's something wrong with us and we need help. And kids are asking for help all day long. So, um, And it's not wrong to say you need to be patient. There's some human effort and obedience. Um, but at the end of the day, human effort's not enough. I mean, that, Paul said the whole point of the law is that in striving to obey the law, we realize that we can't and that we need God to take us to the next step. So there's human effort, but the human effort is that it doesn't get us far enough. And uh, so you can say to kids, you ever notice no matter how hard you try to be good, you can never be good enough? Well, that, that God made us that way, so we would realize that we need him to help us to be good because ultimately we can never be good enough. But I would never sh- stray from the truth. But not don't use it in a manipulative way to scare kids. You know, I mention you know I'll, I'll mention hell sometimes is the opposite of heaven. You know, I don't do a whole lesson on hell, but hell's real, and the Bible says that hell's real. I just say don't shy away from the truth. Jesus never did, and I use him as my example. He's the master teacher. So, well, I, I want to respect your time, but let me encourage you to go to Kidology. Um, when you go to the page where you join, the Join Kidology, you'll notice right at the top there's a link for scholarships, and any student can have a free membership, a uh, full-blown uh, premium membership. So get a full membership. We have a forum where you can ask questions and interact with others. We've got a whole team of volunteer uh, children's pastors called our Kidman Pros uh, that love answering questions and interacting with you. Great place to learn. And if there's any resource that Kidology has created, I can't give away other people's stuff, but anything that I've written or created, the Kids Church Cookbook, the Kidology Handbook, um, just send me an email, and I'll send you a download link and give it to you for free. So thanks for your time today, and hopefully I'll get a chance to interact with you guys um, at another time. And then um, I'm going to put this uh, talk on my podcast. It's called Kidman Talk, and uh, that's a free podcast. So if if you're a, a hip podcaster... Um, you can subscribe to that in iTunes, and there's uh, a ton of uh, helpful training podcasts on all different topics, and maybe you'll enjoy uh, listening to those as well. So, thank you, thank you, thank you, thank you very much. Well, I hope you enjoy joining me and Joel and his students. If you're a student, if you're in a small ministry, you're a missionary, or if you just can't afford the membership fee on Kidology, please fill out that scholarship form. It's how our ministry is supported through donations and memberships, but we don't let that keep anybody away from the resources. And when you join, don't just take from the website, give as well. Ask questions, but answer questions. Submit ideas and things that you're doing and help make Kidology richer and better. Remember, you can email me at carl at kidmantalk.com. You can communicate on Twitter at kidmantalk. And you can also interact in the discussion form linked at the bottom of the show notes. Until next time, this is Carl, and thanks for listening to Kidman Talk.